بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما بسجده الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد This is our seventh lesson of الجواب الكافي او الداء والدواء وامام ابن القيم رحمه الله عليه has been explaining to us the harmful effect of sins in response to a question somebody asked Now what should I do if I'm stuck in a sin? I've tried everything to get out of it, but I just can't. I know this sin is destructive for me in this worldly life and the hereafter, but it's just not working. Nothing's working for me. Please give me advice. So we've had many advices so far, and Imam Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi has been dropping on us some very valuable gems. Uh, one of which is, he's explained to this individual that this world is Darul Asbab. You've got the Sabab and you've got the Musabab. You've got the cause and you've got the effect. And this is how this world works. The primary means to bring good into our life is through the obedience of Allah. And the primary means to bring evil into our life is the disobedience of Allah. And he's been explaining to us over the last couple of lessons we've had the harmful effects of sins so that we understand how heavy one sin is. Not a whole barrage of sins. One sin, how heavy it is and the impact it has. So, so far we've discussed how many? 10. Well remembered, mashallah. Uh, yesterday in Fajr, we spoke about 10, uh, 7 of them. And we did a quick recap in the evening. And last night after Asr, we did another 3. Uh, who can remember what they are? The 3. So the 7 we already did a recap of. Who can remind us what the... Sins breed sins. Okay, sins sow the seeds of other sins. So that was the first one we did yesterday and we said that never think of one sin as one sin one sin is never one sin one sin is hundreds of sins because when you do one the one next to it says do me as well and that's what happens uh, so that's the first one we did and we spoke about that in a lot of detail actually and Imam Ibn Qayyim gave us some very interesting insight into the psychology of why one sin isn't one sin and how when a person becomes habitual of sinning, even when they want to go towards good, what happens is it's not as easy as they think. And this is the harm of being a, a habitual sinner. Then, we did two more. Who can remind us? The heart loses the desire for good and increases the desire for bad. Yes, very well remembered, mashallah, that is it. He said, this is the one I fear the most. So he's telling the student, this particular one I fear the most. The slowly, slowly, the heart loses the desire to do good and increases the desire to do bad. Um, and this is, he says, one of the most serious ones because, why, why is this, anyone remember why? Why did he say this one is very serious? You start accepting it as a result of which he stops you from Toba. You won't make Toba. A person doesn't think of doing Toba anymore. Because when you keep doing it, the desire for good goes away, the desire for bad increases. It doesn't look as bad as any, anymore and it becomes so normal. And someone might even do a superficial, he's saying there's people who do superficial fake istighfar on the tongue this is these people do a lot of istighfar because this is fake it's just on the tongue whilst they're doing the istighfar they're planning the next sin at the same time may Allah protect us and what was the tenth one the last one we did Very good, mashallah. The hatred of sins is taken away from a person's heart. In the beginning, when the first time a person does it, a person hates it. You feel horrible, you feel disgusted by it. But then when you keep doing the same thing, 
the hatred, one of the harmful effects of sins is by committing sins again and again, the hatred of the sin is taken away from the heart, so much so that a person starts to normalize the sin. And we spoke about how we're living in a, a, a community. Our religion is a communal religion. It's, we're in a pluralistic society. We're not individuals only. And we'll be speaking about that more, inshallah, today. So now, we've been through 10 of these. And Ibn al-Qayyim, rahmatullahi, mentioned so many more. By the way, we're not covering all of them because of time. If we went into each and every single one of them, We'd need to, we need to have loads of sessions and I can't see that being possible. So I'm just covering some of them to give us an idea. So now, the next one that we're going to do, Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi is going to give us a broader perspective. Everything we've discussed now in terms of the 10, they all affect you as an individual. The next one we're going to do is going to show us something very broad. Something we don't normally hear from this particular angle. So let's go straight into it. And like I said, we won't cover all of them. So Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. وَمِنْ آثَارِ الذُّنُوبُ وَالْمَعَاصِي أَنَّهَا تُحْدِثْ فِي الْأَرْضِ أَنْوَاعًا مِنَ الْفَسَادِ فِي الْمِيَاهِ وَالْهَوَاءِ وَالزُّرُوعِ وَالثِّمَارِ وَالْمَسَاكِنِ Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi So for us, this is the 11th harmful effect of committing sins. So remember this. The 11th harmful effect of committing sins. That committing sins causes corruption on the earth. And when we say corruption on the earth, all types of corruption, he says, corruption in water. In the water, it'll cause corruption in the water. Wal hawa, in the air. Okay? In the atmosphere, in the ozone layer global warming, all of these things, it's a direct result, he's saying, of the committing of sins. Was zuru'i in the vegetation, in agriculture, in the plants, was thimar in the fruits, in the food that we have, well masakin, and in the housing prices. Prices are going up. Okay? All of this that's happening around us, and this is in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Zahara al-fasadu fil barri wal bahar Allah says that corruption has appeared on the, uh, on the land and on the sea. Okay, on, in the land and on the sea. Why? Because of what people's hands have acquired. What have they acquired? Sins. Okay, you did them. As a result of these sins, Allah says, Why does Allah do this? Why does Allah make the effect of the sins that you've committed in the world show up in the air, in the land, in the sea, and everywhere else. Allah says, So that Allah makes you taste some of your own medicine. Allah makes you taste what you've been doing. This is what you've been doing. You've been committing sins. Look, I'm trying to show you. Not to punish you necessarily. Remember, Allah is very kind. Okay, he's very just, but he's also very kind. So that when you see the inflated prices of fuel, for example, of food nowadays, for example, of gas, for example, of electricity, for example, of the housing industry, for example, all of these things, Allah is saying, you see this and you understand that this is Allah saying, this is a result of your sins. So that when you see this around you, sometimes when you see in you, you don't understand. So when you see around you in the world, you go back to Allah and you make tawbah. And think, oh Allah, this is because of me. So Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah alayhi is telling us that up until now, uh, up until now, we were kind of speaking about sins that you get darkness in the heart. Hatred is taken away. Hirmanul ilm, hirmanul rizq, uh, and things becoming difficult. This is all to do with me and as an individual, how it affects me. Now Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah is giving us a very broad perspective that when you commit a sin, don't have this attitude, nobody should judge me. What I do in my own home only affects me. He's saying that's not true. That's very wrong to think that. He's saying that your sins causes global disturbances. 
committing sins closes a global disturbance and this is the Quran telling us by committing a sin it's having an impact okay in the chaos that's happening in the world and we're contributing to this so when this is not this is what's being pushed now as an individualistic society that you live for yourself you don't have to answer to anybody it doesn't matter what you do nobody can judge me nobody should say anything to me but in real as long as long as you're not harming anybody else it's fine this is what people say have I, have I done anything to you have i hurt you have i abused you what i do in my own house that's up to me why are you telling me what to do i'm not doing anything this is this is called the uh, the harm principle i don't know if you've heard of the harm principle anybody heard of the harm principle yeah the harm principle is basically you cannot take action against any individual unless they're actually directly harming somebody simple as that so the harm principle even even the authorities even the police even those who are high up basically this is being pushed on this is applied now in this is a policy in most places that you can't take action against any individual's actions regardless of what they're doing if they're not harming somebody else and this is this is what the trend that's being pushed whether quran is saying somebody will think well if i'm watching pornography for example in my house in my bedroom the doors are locked what's that got to do with you why does that harm somebody else but the quran is saying yes it does because as a result of that okay we're getting inflated prices as a result of that you might do it in your own house but tomorrow you're going to come and sit next to me at work and you're going to be sharing a desk with me the impact of that is going to come on me as well so you cannot say that what you do is limited to yourself global consequence sins have global consequences this is what ibn tayyib rahmatullahi is telling us uh, right now so he's saying that the verse that we've just read it gives us a completely different perspective on the effects of actions and we are a communal society our religion deen islam teaches us to be a pluralistic society where we live together and the impact it has what i do has an impact not only on me as an impact on the society impact on other people a lot of people are kind of you know they're really considerate towards the planet they're really considerate towards you know the waters animal welfare and all of this they don't realize okay let's look at it from this angle there's a hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that says a muallim nas al khair a person who teaches other people good things generally we'll refer to that person as an alim a muallim nas al khair the hadith speaks about muallim nas al khair somebody who goes around teaching people good things regarding this individual the hadith mentions that every creation of Allah makes dua for this person. And then the Prophet went really specific. He said, even the ants, the ants in their holes, they make istighfar for this person. The fish in the sea, who you've never met and never seen, they are making dua for Mu'allim and Nas al Khair. The birds in the sky are making dua and istighfar for Mu'allim and Nas al Khair, the person who teaches good. Why? Because the Prophet وسلم, he came as, how, what did he come as? Rahmatul Lil'alameen, a mercy for the whole of mankind. A person who teaches good to other people, what, are they, what is he teaching? He's teaching the way of Rasulullah which will become a Rahmah Lil'alameen, not just for the human beings. It's going to be a Rahmah and a mercy for every creation, including the animals. So if a person teaches good to other people, all of the creation benefit from that. That's why they make dua for you. The ants make dua for you because they know if you teach somebody good, they're going to do good actions. That's going to bring about good in the world. Not just to that individual. You're not just going to get barakah in your family and in your risk and your bank balance is going to go up and you're going to have good health. No, every good deed that you do, when you do a good deed, don't think it's not just for you. It has a global consequence. When you do good in this world, it has a global effect. It has a national effect. It has a regional effect. It affects everybody. The whole world benefits from it. The hadith, even ants, 
fish, birds, these have just been mentioned. Every single creature is benefiting. Every tree is benefiting. When every time you say, Subhanallah, you do salah, you make sajda, you make tawbah, you give sadaqah, you make dua, you help somebody at the time of need, every single thing in the world benefits from it. Thus, they make dua for you. Now let's flip it around. When you commit a sin, okay, when a person commits a sin or does something wrong, okay, it impacts all of these creatures as well. This is why the Prophet ﷺ said, one day a janazah was going by. A janazah was going by and the Prophet ﷺ made a comment. And it was quite interesting because the Sahaba didn't get it. He said, this janazah that's going by, either the person who's died is relieved or is relieved from, if that's the right translation. So the Sahaba said, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? We don't get it. It doesn't make sense to us. Can you explain a little bit more? He said, okay, let me explain to you. This person who's died, if he was a pious person, that dying person is relieved. Is relieved from the trouble of the world. This world is a difficult place. It's challenging. There's so many ups and downs and difficulties, pain and whatnot. So this person is relieved. He's going to go into hereafter. He's going to be blessed for this individual. However, if this person was a sinful person, then people are relieved from him. The earth is relieved from him. The animals are relieved from him. The air and, you know, is relieved from him. The waters are relieved from him. And he mentioned specifically these things. That even the earth, okay, that a person commits sins, when a person dies and a person is a sinful person, the earth speaks, quickly take him. Like, what are you waiting for? Get rid of him quickly. Get rid of him quickly. And if a person was a pious person, he himself says, قَدِّمُونِي قَدِّمُونِي Take me quickly from here. I don't want to stay in this world any longer. This is not my abode. So can we see? So this is a very interesting point Ibn al-Qayyim is bringing. And he's saying that, look, when you commit a sin, it's not just affecting you. So when people say, oh, don't judge me, don't say anything to me, you can't say anything to me, I'm not harming you. Well, you are. You don't realize it. Okay, because we don't look at these verses in this way. But every, this is why, why do you think it's so important that every Muslim has a duty of Amr bil Ma'ruf and Nahiyan and Munkar to enjoin the good and forbid the evil? It's not just because, you know, it, there's a, there's a, what, when people do things, it has an impact. But if I'm living in sin myself, right, if I'm living in sin myself, well, when I see others committing sin, we're going to come on to that one next, I think, that you won't, you won't be able to like advise them. Not necessarily, it's not even about advising people. About raising, let's say raising awareness. Okay, we'll, put, we'll keep us all on the same ground because we're all sinners. Nobody's like better than anybody else. We can't, like, I can't look at you and thinking, I, I, because I'm sitting here and I'm talking, so I'm better than you. No, we're all, we're all on the same playing field. We're all sinners and we're all trying to become better. But we can't remind each other. Okay, when I slip, you can remind me. When you're slipping, I can remind you. But when you're into a life of sin, you're not going to remind anybody. You're not going to even remind yourself. So this is something which Imam Ibn al-Qayyim highlights that look, you know people say it's between me and Allah. This is between me and God. You don't need to come in between. Not really, it's not. It's not between you and God. It's affecting the whole community. It's felt by other people. Um, so this is number 11. That... The effect of sins causes corruption on the earth. And when we say earth, the Quranic verse says the land and the sea as well, everywhere. It has an impact everywhere. Do you know in the Juma Khutbah you hear like almost every week, وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِن شُرُورِ أَنفُسِنَا وَمِن سَيِّئَاتِ عَمَالِنَا We seek Allah's refuge from the evil of our nafs and then sayyati a'malina the evil consequences of our sins we, we hear this but we don't kind of reflect on it the harmful effects of the sins we're seeking Allah's refuge and protection uh, from these sins so that was number 11 number 12 now Ibn al-Qayyim comes back to you again so he went and spoke about global consequences now he comes back to the individual once again. So he says, another harmful effect of sins, and for us this is number 12, he's mentioned loads, but for us this is number 12, 
انہا تطفع من القلب نار الغیرہ اللتی ہی علی حیاتی ہی و صلاحی ہی کل حرارت الغزیرہ لی حیاتی جمیع البدن ہی سیز the next harmful effect of committing sins is committing sins regularly puts out the fire of غیرہ it puts out the fire of غیرہ now غیرہ is a very difficult word to translate into English um, so you get two levels of غیرہ from an Islamic perspective one is a natural غیرہ okay uh, which is translated simply as jealousy a very simple it's not it doesn't mean jealousy but it kind of ties in with it okay so when the Prophet وسلم, was going to get married to Umm Salama she said two things. She said, Oh, Prophet of Allah, I don't think this is a good idea. Number one, I've got loads of children of my own. Okay. And number two, I have a lot of ghira, meaning I'm, I'm quite jealous. Like, you've got other wives as well. I don't know if I'll be able to take it. And the Prophet said, Regarding the kids, don't worry about it. It doesn't bother me. And regarding the ghira, I'll make dua for you. Don't worry. I'll make dua that it comes down and we bring a balance to it. And then he went ahead and she became one of the wives of the Prophet. So, this word ghira, 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 both you can say. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there was a sahabi, Sa'ad radiyallahu anhu, atta'jabuna min ghirati Sa'ad. There's a hadith. Something happened where he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he asked a question that, do you know like, if I was to come home one day and I walk into my house, go into my bedroom, and I see that my wife is sleeping with another man. Like, imagine, this is, Sahaba spoke to the Prophet ﷺ, some real examples. They didn't shy away from things. They spoke about whatever came to their mind. They went and spoke about it. If I went to my house, I walked into my bedroom, and there's another guy sleeping with my wife. Like, I would just go and kill the man. I know you can't commit murder because I, this is me. I'm just telling you how I feel. This is ghira. Okay. I would not be able to take it. I would just go and kill the guy. And the Prophet said, Sahaba, Are you guys shocked and surprised by the level of ghira Sa'ad has? So the Sahaba said, You know, they kind of like, Is that, they were like thinking, Is that right? Is that wrong? Is it a bit too much? Then the Prophet ﷺ responded by saying, La, la ana aghyaru minhu. He says, I have more gherat, like they say, we hear it, bagherat. Okay, people call each other bagherat nowadays. This is what they're trying to say. You have no gherat inside you. Okay, no ghira, ghira. The Prophet ﷺ says, I have more ghira than sad. Wallahu aghyar minni. And Allah has even more ghira than me. And then he goes on to say, because Allah owns you. And when Allah sees you committing an act of disobedience or following your own desires, this is, do you know, like, it's not jealousy, but it's a little bit like that sense of honor, jealousy, kind of like, you know how you'd have for, for example, your own wife. If somebody comes and starts flirting with your wife or your daughter, okay, uh, you kind of, over possessive like what, what are you doing get away like what are you trying to say and you get all heated up you know how in jealousy what happens you start getting hot inside okay you start burning so it's a similar kind of feeling where your whole body first it starts from the heart so this is fire that that lights up and it's to, a, to an extent it's good ghira is not you've got levels of ghira but you need ghira without ghira okay that's when you become bagheerat <laughs> And that's when people say, okay, you're Bagherat. Why? You, you've got no integrity left. Okay? This is the Prophet wasallam called. He said, that person who is not bothered, who comes and talks to his wife, that person, he said, is a the youth. And this is like a, in today's language, this is an insult people use against other people. Or the youth. Like they, they use that as a swear. The Prophet wasallam said, that person who does not have any ghira, who does not have any integrity, who does not have any sense of honor, you don't really care if people come and flirt with your wife or your daughter or the females of your family. It doesn't really affect you. You, you like let it happen. It's fine. Let them do what they want. So the Prophet said, this, this person is at the youth, lowest of the low. 
So here the Prophet says, when Allah sees his slave committing sins, that's when the ghira of Allah kicks in. And Allah's like, you belong to me. You're meant to be worshipping me, not your desires, not shaitan, not the nafs. And then he goes on to say, especially when two people commit zina. That, at that time, the ghira of Allah is to the maximum. Um, so, coming back to this. So, the, one of the harmful effects of sins, it puts out the fire of ghira. Now, we're going to understand more uh, through Ibn al-Qayyim's teachings here. that why, why is that so problematic? So, you've got two levels of ghira. One is natural. The natural ghira is the one you have for your family, for your wife, for your daughters. Okay? Um, just that kind of, you know, you're protective over them. You don't want anyone, if you've, got, if you've got sisters, for example, and then some guy starts, you know, messaging her and, you know, just being a bit awkward around her, and you, you kind of, it annoys you. You feel something inside you. You start getting heated up and think, what are you doing? What are you playing at? Leave her alone. Okay? You better, you know, it better not be, you know, just, it better only be work-related, nothing else. Otherwise, you've had it. Okay? So, over here, that's natural. And people have it, or people should have it. The other one is Islamic. It's Islamic. It's from the Sharia. And that is when you see the disobedience of Allah happening. Okay, so you don't, we don't look down on people. But that disobedience, that sin, it's meant to sort of get you heated up inside. You, you don't go and beat somebody up. But inside you, as a result of that, that's supposed to drive you first of all to hate the sin, not the sinner, hate the sin, first of all. And then that is what drives somebody to make a change in the world. So Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah is saying that if you keep committing sins, the sins extinguish the fire of ghira. And then he says, He says that this ghira is an essential, it's like a, an do you know how you have fuel for the car? Okay, it's, it's like you have oil for, the, for burning the lamp. He says, for your heart to remain active, you need this heat. You need this heat of ghira. If you don't have this ghira, your heart's going to die. You're not going to really have a heart. And what will happen? And then he says that the heart gives life to the rest of the body. If the heart is dead, then the whole of the body is going to be dead. So he's saying committing sins puts out this fire. This is a good fire. It's not a bad fire. It puts out the fire of ghira, which is an essential part of our life that we need. And then he said, this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the fawahish haram. So if you look at the uh, hadith, this is, gives us a good understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. La ahada aghiyaru min Allah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, There is no one who has more ghira than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Min ajli dharika harram al fawahish ma zahara minha wa ma batal. Because of this, Allah has made all types of evil and fawahish indecency haram. External, internal. Wala ahad ahabu ilayhi al udhr min Allah. And there is no one who loves an excuse more than Allah. So on one side he's saying, Allah has the most ghira. Okay? At the same time he's saying, there is no one who loves an excuse more than Allah. Like if someone's doing something wrong, okay, Allah's ghira comes into action. But if that same person says, oh Allah, please forgive me, I made a mistake. Allah loves the excuse more than anybody. He's willing to forgive more than anybody. So it shows you a balance. Nobody should think of Allah as someone who's really scary. And he's just out there to get you. No. On the flip side, he loves excuses the most. How people hate excuses. Don't make excuses. You're making it. Allah loves excuses. That somebody comes to Allah and says, Oh Allah, please, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. You know, I, I didn't want to do it, but it just happened. Allah says, oh, Okay, I understand. I forgive you. So there's no one that loves excuses more than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, That's why. This is why Allah sent prophets. Allah loves you. Allah doesn't hate you. Why do you think He sent so many prophets? He could have just sent one or two or three. 124,000 prophets. Why did He send them? 
Because he wants them to come to you, to teach you, to show you how to make excuses in the court of Allah and how to turn to him that Allah will keep forgiving you. At the same time, there is no one who loves praise more than Allah. Everybody likes to be praised. But the one who loves the praise the most is Allah himself. Because of which, as a result of that, he is the one who has praised himself. You know, if somebody praises themselves, it sounds wrong. Okay, nobody likes it. Okay, besides the person praising themselves. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he loves his own praise. And that's why the Quran is full of his praise. He's praised himself so much. So Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi says, فَجَمَعَ فِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ بَيْنَ الْغِيرَةِ الَّتِي أَصْلُهَا كَرَاهَةُ الْقَبَاعِهِ وَبُغْضُهَا وَمَحَبَّةِ الْعُذْرِ أَلَّتِي يُجِبُ كَمَالَ الْعَدْلِ وَالرَّحْمَةِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ In this hadith, he says very beautifully, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has combined ghira with excuse. These two things have been combined. What is ghira? What is the root of ghira? Hating evil. The root of ghira is hating evil. And loving an excuse, where does this come from? This comes from justice. This comes from ihsan. This comes from loving the good. Can you see? Over here, he's brought both of these things together. So at the same time, Allah has a lot of ghira, but Allah loves accepting uh, excuses as well. So this is number... What number was this? 12. Well, maqsood. Now he goes on to mention what is the purpose of this particular effect and why he's mentioned this. He says, if a person continues to commit sins, what happens is, the ghira, which is the hatred for wrong, comes out from a person's heart. First of all, regarding yourself. So you lose, the first thing a per sinful person loses is self-respect. Now you don't feel bad if somebody sees you doing wrong. In the beginning, people would feel bad. You know, recently I've been thinking about this. Um, some people who smoke, right? So... A lot of times, like, it's not as if you expect them to change or do anything, but I've noticed sometimes you, they're smoking in the corner and you go by and, and they'll hide the cigarette behind their back. Even now, they still do it, okay? Or a sister's walking down the street and they, they she put a scarf on. Or somebody's playing music, okay, and they'll see maybe a scholar or somebody and they'll put the music down. And before I used to think, well, you know, like, you don't, why are you kind of like, you do what you want. Like, that's you. I, I'm not like, I don't want you to feel that if I come or turn up or somebody else turns up, like, I'm not telling you to do this. But now, this makes a lot of sense. This is a natural ghira that we should have. It's a healthy shame that at the end of the day, something wrong. And people should have a shame of community. Because if you lose that, then you, then you become very kind of courageous and brave. And you've the audacity, you don't really care. This is a good, it's a healthy shame. It's good. People shouldn't think, oh, you know, why is this lady covering her hair just for the sake of it? You know, she's fake. That's not even, no, no, let them do it. That level of shame is good. When somebody was acting very modest and somebody said, hey, you shouldn't have that much shame. And the Prophet said, da'hu. Leave, leave him, let him have that shame because shame, al-haya'u min al-iman, which is the next one, al-haya, they're linked very close together. So over here, we find that the first thing that will happen is a person loses self-respect. And then a person will lose respect for his own family. No, will not have ghira for the family. If somebody does something with their own family, don't care. And and then general public as well. And this will really make the heart weak. So much so that the hatred for wrong will go. A person will not hate the wrong anymore. Because you've done everything and you don't hate the wrong yourself. So, so then why should you hate it when you see other people doing it? This is what, basically what he's trying to say. If you keep doing the wrong and the hatred for the wrongs come out of your heart, you're not going to hate it when you see other people doing it. As a result of which we've got a society now where no one can say anything to anyone. No one wants to say anything to anybody. No, there is no concept of Nahiyan and Munkar. 
Like if you see something wrong happening, like tell them to stop. And the hadith clearly says when people stop doing the hingar and munkar, that is when the punishment of Allah will come. And the situation of people will become really bad. So these, these are the times that we're living in because we've got so much sin. Um, so this is what he goes on to mention. And this is like something he's highlighting and saying, make a note of this. Because from all of this you understand one of the most important aspects of our deen is ghayrah. Very, very important aspect. I don't think we talk about this enough. He says this, Whoever does not have ghayrah has no deen, has no Islam. This is a very integral part of our religion, to have ghira, to have this level of integrity, self-honor, and this kind of, I don't, know, I don't know how to explain it really in English. But is, is it clear? Are we understanding and following? The word ghira, ghira, okay? Why? Now you might be thinking, why is it so important? فَالْغِيرَ تُحْمِلْ Ghira heats up the heart, okay? It heats it up. فَتُحْمِي لَهُ الْجَوَارِهِ And then that heats up the rest of the limbs. فَتَدْفَأُ السُّوءُ وَالْفَوَاحِشِ That is what then motivates you to stop sins and vice in the world. In your own life and in the life of the people of the world. So if there's no ghira, okay, it's not, your, your system's not going to get, your heart won't get heated up. As a result of which your body and your limbs won't get heated up. As a result of which you won't stop yourself, your family and other people doing wrong. And more and more wrong will just keep happening. The world will just become a, a, an ocean of sins as we're seeing in front of us right now. So he says, one of the most important aspects of our religion is ghira. Whoever has no ghira has no Islam. May Allah grant us more ghira. So if somebody's got ghira, it's good. Yes, it needs to be in balance. Some Sahaba, before they accepted Islam, they had too much ghira. How? Any example comes to your mind? What did they used to do? Bury their daughters alive. Many people say, oh, it's because they, they didn't want girls. If you look into the seerah, many places it mentions that one of the main reasons why they did this is because of this ghira. Because they would think, okay, I'm going to have a girl. Okay, she's going to be born. That's fine. We can have girls. There wasn't, it wasn't like they couldn't have girls. We'll have a girl. She'll grow up. But they couldn't fathom the idea of some other guy coming and taking her into his home. This is what it is. They couldn't fathom the idea that another guy is going to come and take my daughter and get married to her and use her. This is the way they would see it. Some of the, so the, the level of ghira was so high that they would just, right, you know what? Let me just bury her when she's born. Just get rid of her from now. This was too much. That's wrong. You can't have that much ghira. Okay? So it needs to be balanced. But the problem here is, if, for example, you, this ghira kind of, if you commit, when it becomes normal, for a lot of us, alhamdulillah, we come, up, come from a, you know, kind of a decent background. But for some people, if, imagine for those people who've not had it the easiest of ways or have not been as fortunate. If, for example, somebody sees, um, their own mother, right, sleeping around with people. Okay, may Allah protect us. Okay, maybe a lot of us haven't seen this, but a lot of people have in their own families, in their own houses. Okay, they're seeing their own sister, for example. Okay, sleeping around with people. Because it's so close to you and you see them, you know it, and it keeps happening, kind of becomes normal, right, for even the people that are close to you. That ghira that you're supposed to have, it kind of goes. Can you see? So as, as, a, as it keeps re being repeated, you keep seeing the wrong, you normalize it because you see all the time. So this is what it's trying to say, that it will kill the heart because you keep seeing it. So one is committing sins kills the ghira itself. But when you, so what's the solution to this? You need to be in good company. You need to give a bad company. Because when you're in good company, when you're in bad company and people are doing bad, okay, like they're all missing their salah, right? And you want to pray your fajr. You can think, well, they don't even do any salah at all. Why should I even do my fajr? 
do you understand? So it, it kind of becomes very normal. If you're associating with people, people you love, people you like, people that you are with all the time, their level of dhira will have an impact on you as well. Now he gives an example, and like I said, Ibn al-Qayyim's examples are the best. وَمَثَلُ الْغِيرَ فِي الْقَلْبِ كَمَثَلِ الْقُوَّةِ الَّتِي تَدْفَعُ الْمَرَضِ وَتُقَاوِمُهُ The example of ghira in the heart is the example of white blood cells in the body. What do white blood cells do? What's their job? Before they repair, they fight disease, the immune system. He says, your ghira is your immune, spiritual immune system. Before it repairs, so it does repair. But before the repair, it stops, it prevents. Hey, what are you doing here? Okay. Well, this is how people were before. Somebody, you know, there's an elder sister, for example. Okay. There's another girl. She likes the brother's, younger brother's post on Instagram. Hey, what, why are you liking my brother's post for? What's going on? Is there something going on? Okay. What, you know, you're following him. I'm, I've noticed you're liking every single one. Is there something going on? There better not be. This is a level of dhira where you're just kind of, you're there at the gate. You're preventing anything that could happen. This is how people used to be before. You're not kind of judging anybody, but you're there like the immune system. He said, this is what dhira does. You're just there on alert. Just to make sure nothing, no one can, no one can enter. This is my boundary. Okay, this, this is my family. No one's going to pass here. Nowadays, it's like oh, everything goes. <laughs> it's fine. Let everyone do what they want. Okay, it's that kind of attitude. No one can tell me anything. But this is ghira. He says ghira, the example of ghira is like the white blood cells, the immune system in the body. If anything comes to attack the body, it comes there. And he says, hey, what are you doing? Why are you here? Get lost. Go away from here. You can't enter this body. And then even if it fights, it'll fight back. No, I'm not going to let you. My job is to protect this body. This is ghira. And this is why ghira is so important. He says, Because if you're going to keep allowing the viruses to keep coming in, what's going to be left? There's going to be nothing left. So this is what Ibn al-Qayyim is mentioning. Because when you lose ghira, if you lose ghira, first of all with yourself, you think to yourself, well, Allah's seen me doing this shameful action so many times anyway. So then you lose the ghira. You're not shameful anymore. No ghira. Even from Allah. Think, Allah seen me doing it so many times. Like, no big deal now. He already knows. This is me. This is my identity. I'm so and so. Okay. And then this kind of carries on. The only people that don't like shepherds are the wolves. So that was number 12. Very quickly, I'm going to mention just one more, inshallah. Number 13. So the next one he says is number 13. The harmful effect of committing sins is it takes away your haya. Haya, we know haya, okay? We say shame, modesty, but it's much more than that. He says, It's the main part of your heart. You know, we've been speaking about the heart and everybody knows how important the heart is. The main part, he says, of your heart is haya. If I keep committing sins again and again, again and again, it's going to steal my haya. It's the root of every good. If the haya goes, all goodness has gone. Don't expect any good then in your life if you don't have any haya. The Prophet says, Al haya khayrun kullu. Haya, all of it, through and through, it's a good thing. Haya is not a bad thing. And we always hear about the statement from the previous prophets. When you have no shame, do as you wish. You know, they have the Nike. What is, what is it? Just do it. Okay? A tick sign as well. Validation. This is it. Validation. Normalize. Just do it. You, do, you don't have any shame? Just do it. Just do it. Okay? And that's what it is. And then you got another one saying, no fear. Okay? So you got nothing to worry about. Just do it. And then you got, I'm loving it. Anyway. So, Now there's three types of haya. I want you to make a note of this. 
There's three types of haya. Number one, haya before Allah. Haya before Allah. We, we kind of understand this to a level. Istahyi min Allahi haqqal haya. Hadith in Tirmidhi. Istahyi min Allahi haqqal haya. Sahaba said, O oh, Prophet of Allah, what does it mean? Have haya from Allah the way you are supposed to have haya. And then he gave a lengthy explanation of what it means. So one is having haya from Allah in the true sense. Number two, the second type of haya is a social haya, a communal haya, where you have haya from the community. Also very important. We spoke about this in detail yesterday. And number three, haya within yourself. Like you should have your own shame. When you look in the mirror, when you just think about your own life, a person should have haya within themselves. These are three levels of shame. Now, communal haya is good as well. And it only works though if you share the same common moral values. If we're living in a society and we share the same common moral values, it's good because this is called healthy shame. Because if you're going out of line, okay, it, it's, it feels, you feel uneasy, don't you? Okay, and then what people try and do, they try and move out. Why do people want to move out? They want to move away. They want to kind of go isolated. Because then no one will tell you anything. No one will say anything. That's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, if you want people to stop being nosy about you, that, that's different. But if it's big, a lot of times it's because of this. Because people feel really claustrophobic because they don't want anyone to say anything to them. Let me live my life the way I want to. And then what happens is their moral values change. So then they could come into this kind of community and then just be themselves. And because they don't share the same values anymore, they've gone beyond that. So if you're living in a community and you share the same common moral values, you're going to be put into line. In, they're going to, people are going to put you straight when you're going. And that's, that's a good haya to have. It's a healthy shame. Healthy shame to have. Because like I said before about the smoking, for example, that's a healthy shame. Somebody wants to put it behind their back. Because inside them, they know what they're doing is not good. It's not a good thing. Someone's playing music and they turn it down. And then why are you putting it down just because you're going past a masjid or you're going past, uh, you know, an imam, for example, or an elderly person? Because they know it's wrong. And this is, this is com community shame, which is good. If a lady, for example, doesn't, is not covering her hair properly and she goes past the masjid or she goes past somebody, uh, you know, some people doing gush on the street and she just puts her quickly on, on like that. This is good. It's good because she knows that she should be covering her hair. Okay, she's not doing it, that's herself, but at least she's got this inside her. And this is good because sometimes this can push you towards good as well. This can push you towards good. So this is important. Because, okay, and then if, for example, somebody um, is like their criteria of their haya is like a, if someone's like a moral pioneer, okay, who's, so the rest of the people generally, they don't really have any values. And this happens when you go to places like you go to work, for example. You go to university, for example. Let's take the example of the Prophet ﷺ. When he came to his people, his, he was like a moral pioneer. His values were up here. People were doing like crazy things. So at that time, then number two doesn't apply to you. You're not going to look at the community shame, okay, and the haya. Then it's number one and number three. That you have haya from Allah and haya from yourself. And those are the ones that will come in use at that time. Um, otherwise, uh, when you are sharing the same common moral values, the community shame is very effective as well. And at that time, one of the scholars mentioned something. It's like praying salah at the service station or at the airport or at a train station, doing salah, putting your foot in the sink when you're doing wudu. Is it shameful? Yes, it is. Be honest about it. Okay, we might have done it so many times. But when you're, when you're in, that, in, in, you know, in, in, in the toilets, okay, and there's no other Muslims there, you need to do wudu, and you're putting that foot in the sink, you're just like thinking, I wish nobody walks in. Okay? But the only thing that's going to drive you now to do the right thing and do your salah is not community, because there's no community there. Okay? It's going to be the shame that you have between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and within yourself. That look, my religion tells me I need to pray, so I'm going to pray, regardless of what people say. That's not going to really have an impact on me. So, 
This is where we understand this. And one of the scholars used to say that, look, if you are not ashamed by the people, then in that case, a person should look towards the heavens and think that I need to have haya of those who are in the heavens, the malaika, the angels, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or then look towards the creation of Allah and have haya from the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and one of the... Well, how can you overcome this? One of the ways to overcome this is changing your company. Because if your company isn't good, if the people around you are not really on the same page as you, they don't share the common values, like we gave the example of Salah um, before. If the people you hang around with pray to Hajjud, for example, then you'll, you'll at least pray your Fajr, right? But if they're not praying at all, and you want to pray, you, you want, there's, no there's no shame there. When Salah time comes, that shame is good, it's healthy shame. When Salah time comes, if you're hanging around with people that pray, and you just, uh, you, you guys go, I'm going to sit in the car, okay? I'm going to sit in the car, I'm just going to go on my phone. Inside you, you'll feel something, it's there. But if you're in a car and no one's praying and you're the only one who wants to pray, what will happen? Slowly, slowly, you'll feel ashamed of going to pray then, because then no one else is praying. So this is healthy shame, it's good. And you get that through the community. And Islam is a pluralistic religion. It's a communal religion where we stay with the community and it really benefits and it helps. Um, so the last thing I'm going to mention, what Ibn al-Qayyim says over here is, well, maqsood, so he's, he's rounding it up now and why this haya is very important. He says that committing sins, it weakens the haya so much that then it totally takes it away. So this is why a person is saying you shouldn't commit sins after sins because it weakens your haya and then it takes it away altogether and then nothing impacts that individual. And we just, I've already given you all the detail of why haya and shame is important. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq and help us to stay away from his disobedience. Wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Inshallah we continue the next lesson after Salatul Asr. Subhanallah.